Well, I did it. I asked her. Oh, nice, awesome, bro. Man. We're getting married. Oh, so, did she say yes? Of course she said yes. Come on. I've been dreaming of this day, this moment, my whole life. I'm just glad that's over. Now all I'll have to do is show up on the right day. I'm going to plan out every detail. Our wedding will be perfect. The honeymoon is going to be epic. We're thinking September of this year. Oh. I'm thinking September 2016. You know what I'm looking forward to most about being married? All the sex, all the time. The cuddling, the romance. Mm -hmm. And just two people sharing their lives together. And finally, having someone to cook and clean for me. He's a dream come true. Did you know that he doesn't even have gas? Seriously. Dude, I've been holding it in for months, and it is time to bring some pain. You know what I mean? That's right. I'm not saying he's perfect. I mean, all guys are a work in progress, right? You know what I love most about her? She accepts me just the way I am. Marriage will change him. Smooth over those rough edges. She knows I love Xbox. He'll give up those silly games. She knows I play golf every Sunday. And he'll love me too much to play or to watch sports. And she knows I wouldn't be caught dead in a minivan. We're buying this one! Oh, you can do it! But most of all, I know she respects me because I work hard. I'm good at what I do. He'll pay cash for the van, our home, our kids' educations, but he'll still be home with me all the time. And she'll know that when I work late, it's because I love her. And he'll never work late because he loves me. Yeah. It's going to be perfect. So perfect. And she'll know that when I come home, I need time to decompress. He'll be so ready to see me at the end of the day. We'll talk for hours about us, about our future, about our kids. Oh, and she loves kids, which is fantastic because it's just not my thing. And did you know that they even sell slings so that daddies can breastfeed? And having kids will be tough because we can't afford for her to quit her job. And it's going to be tough because I'll have to quit my job. But we're not going to have kids for like five years anyways, so no worries. I've already stopped taking the pill. Oh, my God. But you know the best part? As my wife, she'll respect me and support my decisions no matter what. And we'll discuss every decision, even the small ones. She'll be my biggest cheerleader, always. He'll be my hero all day, every day. It's a match made in heaven. What, what could, could possibly, possibly go, go wrong? I think we should dismiss. <laughs> what possibly could go wrong? That's exactly what Paul the Apostle was dealing with when he wrote to his friends in the first century church and city of Colossae. If you and I lived in this city at the time that Paul was writing these words, we would understand that we could worship any god, any idol, and live a corresponding lifestyle that was the expression of faith for that idol or that god. But everybody in that region had to do this one thing. They had to worship Caesar as Lord. It is in this context 
that Paul sends Epaphras from Ephesus to the city of Colossae to announce to them that there is a new faith and a new lifestyle. It's a radical change. It, 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 is, it is so different from what they are used to that it, it really causes this whole revolutionary countercultural movement. And this morning, I want us to review that quickly as, as we deal with a very specific issue of relationships this morning. And I'm going to need your help to do that. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to, to say a phrase with me. And so I want the gallery in this half of the balcony and this section right here to just say with me, a new presence. Say it. A new presence. Loudly. A new All right. Thank you. This group right in here, these two sections, I want you to say a new power. Ready? A new power. Louder. A new power. Thank you. I want these two sections to say a new purpose. A new purpose. Louder. A new purpose. Thank you. And the remaining groups, I want you to say a new pattern. Would you say it with me? A new pattern. Thank you. So Paul the Apostle sends word of this this new thing. And what he's telling them is that amidst all of these idols, that this is not an idol or a God saying, move over and make room for me. This is a God who is showing up and saying, get out of my way. Their response is, hey, you're not the boss of me. And Paul is saying, yes, he is, because it's not Caesar is Lord. It is Jesus is Lord. And therefore, there is a what? A louder. A new presence. And so he describes it this way in Colossians 1.15. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose and everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. This has so radically changed them that they have rearranged their view of who or what directs their destiny, and they have bet it all on this one who they said has died and rose again, and they said, we're betting on this one, let it ride on him, Jesus is Lord. Therefore, because there is a new presence, presence, there follows a new power. power. And so he describes that new power this way. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. It's Christ. No more, no less. That's why I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy or the power God so generously gives me. By putting their faith into Jesus, there is this energy release that within this culture that is counter now to their belief structure, they have the energy to not only survive but to excel by focusing only on Jesus. So we started out with a new presence, you've got to be watching me. A new presence which created, which now establishes a new purpose. And so he describes the purpose. And whatever you do or say, do as a, as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So in this relationship with Jesus, you and me then connect together in relationship of community. 
And in this community, we now become the incarnation of God on this earth. There is no plan B. A.T. Robertson explains it this way. He says this, that real Christianity is both a doctrine and a life. Mere belief is dead without life as proof. Real spiritual life is impossible without vital contact with God and Christ. And our dealings with others become the final proof of our real connection with Christ. Our connection with Christ is dead unless it's relational. Our connection with Christ is dead unless we understand the relational connections we have with each other. For the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. And so now Paul brings us through all of this letter, he brings us to the core of all those relationships. And he brings us down to the family. Which brings us to this spot because we started with what? A new presence which gave us, which established a new purpose, which now gives us, oh, that was so weak. Do it again. Ready, set, go. A new pattern. There we go. And so this morning, I want us to focus on this new pattern. Martin Luther called it the Hostafel. He called it the the home code. It, it, it was the, the, the way that the house would function together. The, the Greeks and the Romans had this code in the family that kept it structured together so that the family would stay intact because they knew if the family stayed intact, there was a better chance that the society would stay intact. Destroy the family, you destroy the society. And so Paul says, because this is all brand new, there is this new hostafel, this new household code that you've got to follow. And so he brings it now to the place that we will understand what that new code is for us who follow Jesus. And it begins with a base, and Jesus then creates, as Paul describes it, a base of equality. And I want to make this really clear today. So I'm going to ask for some assistance. I just need a husband and wife. Lucy and Scott, just come stand right here, if you will. You can't stand. That's right. You can't. I need a husband and wife. Real quick. Husband and wife. Carrie, come on up. Bring that beautiful bride with you. Let's go. Okay. With them, I need someone who is an adolescent son. Not their son. They don't have one. A son and a daughter. I need somebody up here. Real quick. Come on. No, I don't care. Just come on. Come on. Here we go. Come on up. Okay. I need someone who is a business owner. Come stand by them real quickly. I need somebody who's a business owner. Just stand this direction. There you go. A business owner. Thank you. I need someone who's a union worker. I need a union worker. Come on. Nobody wants to admit, union, we got a union worker? There we go, yeah, all right. You're not from Wisconsin, are you? Okay. Uh, I need somebody, I need a group of people who have an ethnicity that is not represented by these folks up here. I need an, uh, other ethnicities, okay? Quickly, come on. African-American, African, Spanish, Latino, just whatever. I just need, there we go, come on. There we go, thank you, come on up. All right, there we go. Wonderful. Now, these folks, step back that direction, if you will. There we go. These folks, someplace maybe in Erie, this region, if you're in a union, Wisconsin, somewhere in this world, there will be discrimination against them. Skin color, culture, age, gender. But there will be discrimination. 
But the amazing thing that Paul says is that when you come to this place, the cross, when you come to the cross of Jesus, everything begins to change. Because when you come to the cross, there is total equality. That there is no difference in his view of children and adults, husband and wife, color, race, there is no difference. It is total equality. Please understand, because this is the basis of what his teaching will follow, you've got to understand that all of these folks are equal in God's eyes. Totally equal. They are children of God. So Paul writes this. He says in Galatians 3.26, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are what? Right? You are all one in Christ. You are all viewed by Jesus as brothers and sisters responsible for your discipleship and your responsibility to your relationship with him. Everyone is equal. We are responsible to be his disciples in that equality. Therefore, we have been recreated to be new creatures of a new creation. Again, he says to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 6.15, it doesn't matter what we have been, whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into what? A new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. We are equal. We are the new people of God. Now, as these folks head back to the seat, turn to somebody next to you and say, I am equal to you. Ha, 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 ha. Some of you even got the ha, ha, ha. I heard it. We are equal. This is a new deal. What do we do then with the old creation? Now pay attention. Jesus infuses an old creation with a new creation. He doesn't get rid of the old creation, but he infuses it with the new. Pam and I had some friends years ago in Sacramento, California, that came to know Jesus in an intimate relationship, put their faith in him. They had children, we were living in Sacramento, California at the time, and they didn't like the culture. So they packed up their family, quit their jobs, moved to some wilderness area in Idaho to live off the land. They had no electricity, they had no running water, and they lived with other people who had faith in Jesus so they could escape the culture. And that's how they lived. I think that if God had intended for us to do that, If Jesus wanted that to happen, he'd have done a Peter Pan on us and we'd have flown away to ever, ever land the moment we put our faith in Jesus to get us out of this culture. When Jesus left, remember his words. As you are going into the world, that's the verb tense, as you are going into the world, not as you are escaping from the world, but as you are going into the world, preach the gospel, and that simply means the gospel is this. Jesus is Lord. Declare Jesus is Lord and make disciples by showing them how to live 
the new creation within the old creation. It is our responsibility to reveal how Jesus functions in our culture. Not to get out of it, but to reveal how Jesus functions in it. That's why in this passage you'll hear him say, this is how a husband should treat his wife in the way that Jesus would if he was a husband. This is how Jesus would respond if he was a wife. This is how Jesus would respond if he was a parent. This is how Jesus would respond and live if he was a son or a daughter. This is how Jesus would respond if he was a slave owner. This is how Jesus would respond if he was a slave. This is how it should function. The new creation is to incarnate the social structures of the old creation. The new creation is to come in and live out how it is within the old structure. He is taking a new wineskin and placing it inside an old wineskin. It is a new social structure that will not peacefully coexist with the old structure. It won't be easy. But he said, even when they clash, I want you to live this out. This is the hostafel. This is the new pattern. Now, I want you to understand, make this clear. How many of you are followers of Jesus? Okay. You got a new presence, which gave you a new power, which then gave you a new purpose. Now gives you a new pattern that all of us must live out. So, let me bring it down now to what he says. And this morning, I'm going to focus on men and women. I don't have time to get in that passage on children, but you sure can read it and hear what it says. All right, ladies, you ready for this? Wives, volunteer to submit. He said the S word. Submit. This has to do with your calling and not your ability. Here's what he says, Colossians 3:18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now at this moment, the guys have awakened from their sleep and they've said, "Hey honey, listen to this. It's good. You you got to submit to me. <laughs> you got to because it's what God wants. It's the God thing because because it's good. You listen to this because you can't make it without me. All right, guys, let me be clear. She can make it without you. In fact, she could even probably thrive without you in some cases. This is an issue of function, not inferiority. This is a directive coming from Paul about what is fitting for the Lord. And we understand that even in our lives there must be a civil order so that everything within society functions. There's got to be somebody who takes the lead. God says, here's the way that I'm designing this, not because of importance or because of superiority or because of ability. It's just what I have chosen to do. There must be spiritual order. Now, ladies, listen to me. Jesus, through Paul, is about to take you on a walk of what he wants you to do to reflect who he is. This is the pattern of living that says, ooh, this gives me a clue about Jesus. So he says, I want you to take your equality. Because understand, you are equal to men. 
absolutely equal. And in this culture that Paul's writing, that was not the case, and he, they have been elevated in his view. You are equal in Jesus. Now he says, here's what I want you to do with your equality. I want you to follow what Jesus did and live out your equality the way he did. And so he tells us in Philippians 2, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he, opened, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He said, ladies, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to take your equality and I want you to follow this pattern. I want you to consider equality something not to be held on to. But I want you now, by your own volunteerism, I want you to submit it. I want you to lay it down and serve. Giving up her authority is a revealing of Jesus. So that when people look at you, they'll go, that's how Jesus does it. That's what he did. I have been guilty in the past at moments when my wife and I have an impasse. We had one this morning. Yesterday, we're redoing our laundry room. I told her I wouldn't tell the story, but I'm telling it anyhow. Okay? Because you're right. You are always right. Yes. Okay. So... I had a friend come over and we constructed two cabinets to go in the new laundry room that we're creating and, and she told me this morning that she wants one more cabinet. I said, we've already got a plan. We don't need another cabinet. But it's not the picture in my head. It's just, it doesn't, like, and I'm thinking, get it out of your head because it's just not the picture I want to see. So I could do this. I could say, woman, I am man. You must submit because it's what God says. But I don't want to sleep on the couch tonight. When you say to your wife, you've got to obey, she does not. When she does, it is a revealing of how Jesus functions in our culture. He did not consider equality something to be held on to, but let it go. But also when she does, and then that submission takes place, she is saying to Jesus, okay, I'm letting go of my equality, and in the same way God took care of you, that he raised you up and put you in the place you needed to be, and you didn't miss anything, if I submit and let go of my equality and my authority, you will take care of me. That is my faith. Because here's the deal. Whether I submit to a volunteer authority or an opposed authority, when I submit to that, it puts God in a place where he has to take care of me because I'm obeying him, and therefore it puts on him the responsibility to take care of me. Understand then that I, long to the, I belong to the Lord first and then to that authority second so God will take care of me. And so I want to just make sure it's clear then. Ladies, understand that submission is voluntary. That word submit is in the middle voice in its verb tense, meaning she may or she may not. And mister, you cannot tell her that she has to. It is her voluntary submission and you cannot force it. 
We do understand again, and so often the woman in her deference and in her wisdom understands that someone has to take the lead, and so therefore she will submit. But you say, wait, 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 Reisner. I trust God, and I submit to him because he's perfect. When I submit to my husband, I'm taking a risk. Because he is not perfect. And here comes your temptation. Your temptation then is to help create him in somebody you will trust. You will form him in your image and make him a person that you can therefore trust he will make the right decision. And you can do that through a a variety of means which you are really good at. You can use your beauty to impress him and to to manipulate him. You can use your sexuality to say, here, and if you do, and then you will, and there you go. It's just... (laughs) That was in code. (laughs) See, you can do that. One of your great tools that you can use to manipulate men are your words. So I want to share with you this morning nine words that women use. The first one is this word, fine. This is the word women use to end an argument when they are right and you need to shut up. The next one is five minutes. Five minutes. If she is getting dressed, this means a half an hour. But five minutes is only five minutes if you have just been given five more minutes to watch the game before helping around the house. Then it's truly five minutes. Number three, nothing. This is the calm before the storm. This means something, and you should be on your toes. Arguments to begin with nothing usually end in fine. (laughs) Number four, go ahead. This is a dare, not a permission. (laughs) Do not do it. A loud sigh. This is actually a word, but in a nonverbal statement, often misunderstood by men. A loud, sigh, a loud sigh means she thinks you are an idiot and wonders why she is wasting her time standing here and, and arguing with you about nothing. Refer back to number three for the meaning of nothing, which usually ends in fine. Number six, that's okay. This is one of the most dangerous statements a woman can make to a man. That's okay means she wants to think long and hard before deciding how and when you will pay for your mistake. (laughs) Number seven, thanks. A woman is thanking you. Do not question or faint. Just say you're welcome. I want to add in in a clause here, and this is true, unless she says thanks a lot. And that is pure sarcasm, and she's not thinking, thanking you at all. Do not say you're welcome. That will bring a whatever. Eighth word is whatever. It's a woman's way of saying, you're dead. (laughs) Number nine. Don't worry about it. I got it. Another dangerous statement, meaning this is something that a woman has told a man to do several times but is now doing it herself. This will later result in a man asking what's wrong. For the woman's response, refer to number three, nothing, which ends in fine. Ladies, I want to tell you that you cannot create your man into a man you can trust. Only Jesus can do that. So I want to tell you about this submission then. That first of all, true submission is never humiliating. 
You don't look at Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be held on to and say, look at him, he's inferior. In fact, to do what Jesus did takes incredible strength and determination to obey. And that's what it takes in this case. This submission also does not violate your conscience. God never intended you to submit where it violates your ethics, scripture, morality, or your devotion to Jesus. But in those other cases where you then say, I will submit, you say, but wait, 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 wait. Sometimes he just makes decisions that are stupid. What do I do? I want to tell you that somebody else's poor decisions will never stop God's destiny for you when your, hand, when your life is in his hands. He will get you there. And this is what is fitting for those who follow Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. It is your voluntary removal of your authority to say this is how Jesus functioned on this earth and you can see how it happens by the way that I deal with my husband. Guys, you're sitting there going, yeah, this is so good. Pastor, we love you. Hang on. Love is self-devotion, not self-satisfaction. You see, your wife trusts God. She submits to him because she trusts him. And I have a feeling that if you would treat her as, if, as God treats her, she would trust you. And that's a big job. If you would get your eyes on her and say, what is God creating her to be? And begin to focus on how she is living her life and how you can serve her. You create an atmosphere in which she just said, this is a God thing. I I I can let go of my authority. But it's difficult for us. Because we have this tendency to justify our leadership, to justify what we're doing. Because I'm the man and I have to make the money and I've got, and I, and, I, and, and, and soon it just becomes self-focused, but we, just, we make it spiritual. And we forget how to take care of her. I just love the old story the, of the guy that's sitting at the Super Bowl and a man sitting next to him and he turns to him and says, hey, you know, there's a seat empty next to you. Why is that? This is the Super Bowl. And he said, well, that was the seat for my wife and and it's just, it's, it's, it's been, just recently she's died, and so obviously she's not here. The guy said, well, didn't you have any friends who could have taken that seat? He said, oh, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> Nobody in here would do that, but some people do that. So guys, guys here's, what, here's what Paul says to us. Colossians three nineteen. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That whole harshness deals with this. If she's not submitting to you, you cannot get irritable or surly. You cannot get cranky with her in that process. It goes the opposite of what he just early, earlier said in this passage, which is on all these virtues, wrap it up with love. It's the opposite. So let me give you a clue. When with sarcasm you say to her, you're just like your mother, that is not gentle. That is not love. That is not the way that you love her. You say, but, but she's usurping my authority. She's, 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 she's challenging my authority. This passage is not about your authority. This passage is about your devotion. 
And Paul is saying, here's the devotion, here's the deal. In fact, the way he describes us in the culture, it so blows them away that it is so unusual. It, it is so unconventional that people are going, whoa, whoa, what did he say? And the love that he demonstrates through this passage is so extraordinary, they've never seen love like this. He said, that's the way you have to love. And then he describes it to the church at Ephesus even more detailed than he does in Colossae. And here's what he says. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, this is really God's command for us to submit to our wives. What? Yet yeah, you submit to your wife. This is not a one-sided submission. This is a, re- a reciprocal arrangement. Paul already said to the church at Ephesus, submit to one another as unto the Lord. So this is how you work it out in the hostafel, mister, in this household code. You see, God has said to the women through this scripture, you take your authority and you now learn how to serve. That's called respect. Mister, you take your authority and you learn how to die. That's called love. And so he lays it out for us in very practical ways. And I want to walk you through that. The first thing that means for us guys is that love keeps a clear path. When your wife is spending time with Jesus and and beginning to understand her destiny, and she communicates to you, this is what I feel I should do in life, this is what I'm called to do, and it may even conflict with what you think she should be doing. You need to listen and hear what God is saying for her. And if you still can't come to an agreement, then you go to the body, you go to other brothers and sisters in Jesus who have wisdom and say, help us clarify what God is saying, and then you come to an agreement. And then you function her her way, and you say, well, wait, 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 but I have a path to walk. I, I have a job to do. I have a career to put together. I'm the man. She's the woman. I hold priority. Who said that? In fact, let me tell you, that Jesus interrupted being the creator to be a dead man. You can do the same. That's harsh. No, 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 that's good. So follow your leader, Jesus. Do you know where, where Adam was when Eve was tempted? It's an amazing study. He was right next to her. Here's what the scripture says. Genesis 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He was right there and he could have defended her. He could have stopped her and he didn't do a thing. He could have put forth an effort to say, this is not right, this must cease. Guys, we are made to be warriors. But not so much to fight for our rights, but to fight for what is right. So when your wife cries out to you, I'm struggling in life, I'm struggling to get where God wants you, you have to listen. You can't say, well, I've got a job to do and I don't have time. No, 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 you listen and you you discern what it is that she's battling and you figure out where Jesus is taking her in life and then you help clear the path. Now understand, you cannot fight her fight. She still has to fight her own fight. But you can clear out all the other forces that are yelling at her saying, you will never succeed. 
You clear the path for her so that she can move forth. That's what Adam should have done. He said, no, get out of the way and let her become what God has designed for her to be in this place of God's garden. Let me tell you how you do that. First of all, you're encouraging words. Your words will either cripple her or encourage her. You will, you will communicate to her, honey, you can do this, and I am with you, and I will walk with you through this, and you will accomplish this, and here's what I think God is saying, and you encourage her on the path that God has for her. You say, I didn't even know she had a path, then you better find out. Secondly, pray for her. You are the authority. God looks at you as the authority, and you can speak in an authoritative term to the spiritual forces around and push them out of the way so that she can move ahead. Your prayers make a difference, and if you don't pray, it becomes very, very congested on her path. You can worship. You should be, you should be leading your family in worship. Say, well, I'm pretty shy, pretty shy about that. You can still worship. You can, you can express your worship to God. You can raise your hands. That's why Paul wrote... To, to his friend Timothy and said, let men with holy hands, without anger, lift their hands to God and worship him. It sets the pace for the women, for your wife, for your family. You worship. God wants us to defend that wife. Love also reveals the right path. See, Adam could have said, no, this is wrong. Let me take you on the right path and take, take her away from the temptation and said, here, here's how we obey. See, God intends for you to lead the path for the family in obedience. So what are you watching? Where's your entertainment? Where's that path going? What are your relationships like? Where's that going? What, what's your time, your usage of time like? How do you live out your life? Is that where you want your children and your wife to follow you because you set the path? Thirdly, love is the path. You see, if Adam would have said, no, I will not take this in obedience to God, I will not eat this, and even if Eve would have, he had now placed himself in a position where he could rescue her. Because God would have shown up and he would have said, I know what Eve has done. And the course that follows is that when you sin against me, you die. Eve will die. He's in love with her. He'd have said, no, 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 no. There's got to be another way. There's, oh, God, there's got to be something else. And finally, God would say, well, the only thing I can think of is that somebody else would die on her behalf, and he would have qualified because he would have been sinless. And he could have rescued her. You say, man, it didn't happen that way. Not with the first Adam. But the second Adam, the scripture says, is Jesus Christ, who defends us, who leads us in the right path of obedience, and who gave his life for us to rescue us. Guys, that is the pattern that you must live. That you must give your life that your wife can reach her destiny in Jesus. And that is your priority. That is the hostafel. That is the code of following Jesus. So ladies, Paul said, let go of your authority, let go of your equality, and move the direction of serving and people will see Jesus on this world because of what you do. Mister, 
give up your life, whatever it takes, for her to become what God has designed. And the world will say, that's how Jesus functions. So we started out with this question, what could go wrong? You're a lot. And if you're married, you know it's a lot. But when the wife submits as an example of what Jesus does, and when the man gives up his life as an example of what Jesus does, the journey takes shape and form the way that God had designed. And I'm going to tell you what happens is that no matter what you face and things can go wrong, the relationship will last because it's the way that God designed like it has for this couple. It was December 29, 1960. We got married in Italy. And that was a beautiful day, yeah. I was 19 and he was 26. Long time ago. <laughs> wow. I think we like each other a lot. <laughs> he doesn't go to bed without saying I love you. That's one thing in marriage that's a must. And he makes you always you feel like you're the best and you're the beautiful. Always he tells me I'm beautiful. She does everything to make you happy. Not just me, everybody. She's really open heart with everybody. Thank that's, you. That's true. Always I tell her, wait by the door, I'll go get a car. That's how I do all the time. And not to get in the sun. Watch the sun, watch this, watch the. Yeah, he take care of me. And of course I do the cooking and we finish to eat. He, he says, don't move, I take care of the dishes. That's one thing that, you know, you do whatever you want. You cook, I clean. We, we, lo we love each other and... Uh, we trust. We trust. We respect. We respect. And we fight, too. <laughs> when she repeat the things too many times. That's, that's, that's what I go crazy. <laughs> Every day, same story. Every day, same story. Anytime she starts, I say, hey, here we go again. <laughs> Always same story. It's enough. Enough is enough. Because he never listens. He has his heart head. He's very moody. But uh, doesn't last long. But when he gets moody, I say, why? You can, why? Just leave me alone. Okay, go for it. <laughs> it gets on my nerve, yeah. When... <laughs> I get on your nerve. I, you get on my nerve because you repeat. I didn't repeat. I just said so, that's it. <laughs> you see what I mean? That's the argument. <laughs> After a couple hours, everything would be as the same. better than before. Me, personally, like I said, first thing you put God in your marriage, the first thing. And not only that, you have to work out, you communicate. Because everybody seems like they have more things to do. But you have to make quality time. Quality time, that's very important for a, for a couple's today. Like I said, he's my best friend. You become closer, closer. Let her know. You respect her. Kiss her every morning. Kiss <laughs> good night. Kiss <laughs> during the day. <laughs> Even during the day. This way everything should be okay. That's what I do. Good man, he's a good man. He's a good man. He would do anything to make me happy. I would never, 
never go back and get somebody else, never. He's my favorite guy. I know seeing those Italian sausages made you hungry, so stand. Let me pray a blessing on you. So now may you have greater understanding on how God has created you. May you walk with wisdom in your relationships as you, many in this place, are looking toward a marriage situation. May you walk with great wisdom. And for you that are in relationships now, may you learn the pattern that God has designed for you for the marriage that will last and be healthy. May you find the joy in submission. May you find incredible power in dying to one another. And in your life, may others see Jesus so clearly as you reveal him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.